Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. to the Animation Addicts podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 231, Encanto. Poor Bruno, he killed my fish. Welcome to the Animation Addicts podcast with the Rotoscopers, the number one place to get your animation fix with animation addicts just like you. Each episode, we dive into the wonderful world of animation featuring Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, and everything in between. From hilarious discussions and movie reviews to interviews with industry insiders, this show's mission is to brighten your day through our love of animation. So hop on your nerdy couch, grab some snacks, and get ready to hang out with your animation besties because it's time to dive into today's episode. Hey there, animation addicts. I'm your host, Morgan Stradling. And I'm Chelsea Robson. And we are joined by a wonderful co-host, someone who has been on the show a few times before, Pablo Ruiz. Welcome, Pablo. Hello, everyone. I'm so excited to be back. So this movie that we're doing, we are doing Disney's Encanto. It just came out. And of course, when we thought about this movie, Pablo instantly came to mind because he's our friendly neighborhood Colombian. (laughs) Encanto is set in Colombia. So it made sense that we invited Pablo on. So Pablo, welcome, welcome. I'm so excited. Uh, I still can't believe this movie exists. It's just so tailor-made for me. I I just, I don't believe it. So for those of you who don't know Pablo, Pablo wrote on our site for a long time. He was our resident Pixar-in-chief person who focused all things Pixar. He was the guy to go to for all the Pixar news. And the website has sort of shifted and changed and people have come in and out over the years. But Pablo is still the resident Pixar guy in my heart. But so it's really (laughs) exciting to have you back here. But so before we get started, what have you been up to? Uh, so last time I was here was for Moana, which is wild to think about. That was like five years ago. Insane. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> but I guess uh, Lin-Manuel Disney movies are now my thing. Um, <laughs> that was not planned, but yeah. awesome. <laughs> uh, so I live in Canada now, so also excited to turning red next year. Uh, Disney is really tailoring their movies to where <laughs> me and my family live. Yes. Um, and... I've just been working and watching animated movies still and reading all about them. And I'm so excited to talk about one of my favorite ones ever. Wow. So that's a big spoiler right up front. One of your favorite (laughs) animated movies ever. Okay. So let's jump into it because there's a lot that we have to talk about. Before we hop into our main discussion, let's set the stage. The studio is Walt Disney Animation Studios. It's their 60th animated feature, which I I thought was nice. They kind of put that big 60th banner up there um, as a good reminder. I'm like, oh, good for you guys. Directors were Jared Bush and Brian Howard with co-director Sharice Castro-Smith. Release date was November 24th, 2021. The budget is estimated to be around 120 to 150 million dollars, and box office thus far is 72.5 million dollars. Which I was reading up on, you know, the release, and they said, well, this is kind of one of the worst openings for the studio, you know, Pixar Disney um, since The Good Dinosaur. Which, when you hear that, you're like, oh. oof, 
you know, because we all know <laughs> the good dinosaur and the drama that was that. But it is a little different. They also said that this was the highest release um, since the pandemic for an animated film. So, you know, slowly the movies and the box office is coming back to where it was. So um, all in all, I still think there's a lot of growth for this film. And I, I'll be honest, I'm really excited that this one was released exclusively in theaters. Uh, mm-hmm. There's just something that you miss um, when you're just watching it at home and you're on your phone and you kind of can allow yourself to be a little bit distracted, just immersing yourself in a theater experience with other people was really a joy. And I was really excited to be back watching it in theaters. Absolutely. And um, so I love reading about box office and I've read every article about the Encanto box office. And something that I found absolutely hilarious was that like, you know, all the U.S. websites were like "Mm, lowest opening since the good Mm -hmm. dinosaur is still good for the pandemic. Uh, And then the Colombian websites were like, it's the biggest opening in the U.S. It's the number one movie in the U.S. Huge success. So I thought that was so funny. (laughs) They're more on the bright side. I love it. Hey, it should. I mean, it doesn't. No, no use going in the past and comparing it. I mean, really, it was the number one film of the Thanksgiving holiday and it deserved it because it was amazing. So let's talk about our first thoughts, memories, um, seeing it in theaters. Uh, Pablo, tell us what your experience was. Uh, So uh, as I said, I've been excited for this movie for like a year and a half, I think, Uh, when when I remember when. Lynn first announced that the movie they had been working on because we knew that he was working with Byron Howard or something. Um, he said that it was set in Colombia. And I was like, I, a Disney animated musical set in my country with music from Lin Manuel Miranda. Like, you could have lured me into an abandoned warehouse, uh, stolen my kidneys with that headline. <laughs> um, but so I obviously bought tickets to the very first screening available. Um, and I was there super early, uh, so early that the previous movie playing in the theater wasn't over. So I just was just waiting outside the theater. Uh, and then more and more Colombians started showing up. I, I had no idea. I don't know any Colombians in Vancouver where I live. Uh, but we were all wearing like the national team's jersey, a traditional clothing, like the flag <laughs> as, a, as a cape. Uh, capes are allowed in this scenario. And, no other. So don't come for me, Edna. Um, but so so I started getting emotional just before, even before the movie because it was just like we were clearly also excited. This community of people uh, that we've never gotten like positive representation of movies, and we were all so excited. This was a Disney movie. Uh, it was just incredible. Um, I cried my whole way through the movie. I started gearing up like in the short film, obviously, which we need to talk about, uh, but just cried so much uh the whole way through especially the last half hour uh, so absolutely loved it i love that story i saw this movie over thanksgiving with my family i hadn't really had i hadn't been watching for it honestly um but i knew it was coming and so i was like oh great i'll be, we'll be able to see that and then as always is disney always releases their big film around like the second week of february or they have like the press screening for it that not february november the second week of November. And for the last eight years, I've been, or nine years, I guess now, um, I've been working at the Latin Grammys during that time. And so it's like, I never get to go to whatever it is they're planning. And I'm like, oh, geez, lame. Um, But Morgan went and she said, oh my gosh, it's so great. So I was really excited to be able to see this over Thanksgiving with my family. And I'm like the youngest of six kids. And I would consider my family, like all my siblings to be pretty cool and, you know, having always looked up to them, I, I, I related to Mirabelle a lot in a lot of ways. And <laughs> like, I basically started crying from the beginning and I cried throughout. And then my sister-in-law was like, I saw you crying. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> it was just really cool because it was like, I, I was also just having come from working the Latin Grammys. I was like, oh my gosh, these are my people. And even though I'm like as gringo as they come, my heart pretends to be Latin. So I'm, I was very much of a fan. <laughs> so for me, I really hadn't been invested in this movie at all. There was a period of time where every single animated movie, I, the trailer, the teaser trailer, the fifth trailer, the, the 30 second trailer, all of the different posters, I was in it 
and I knew everything about every single animated movie that was coming out. But really, since I've had kids, I've kind of pulled away just because I don't have as much time to stay as invested. So for this film, I hadn't even seen the trailer, to be honest. Um, I'd really just seen the yeah, I'd, I'd really just seen the posters um, the one with the door and the kind of like the, you can see the magic within. And that's all I really knew. So that being said, um, just from that alone, the movie looked okay, but I wasn't super hyped up for it. And boy, was I glad to be wrong because this movie blew me away in so many different ways. I cannot speak highly enough about this film. And I'm so happy that this film exists. And I think one of the main things is that this film is so different than just a lot of the other films out there. I I can't really put my finger on it, but it doesn't have like this traditional, you know, villain um, structure or it's not a princess film. It's not a fairy tale. It's, it's kind of just uh, magical realism in a way. So we do have that magical Mm -hmm. element, but it's really set in reality and it's set around this family and we don't, it's not a journey film. We don't go places. We don't, you know, she doesn't go to, you know, find some magical waterfall that's going to save the the family or save the home. Um, really, all the work that needs to be done is done right in the home with the personal experiences. You know, as Mirabelle goes and she's talking to each one of the family members, and and that's really how life is. And I, I really liked that because I felt that this was just so different than a lot of the films um, that we've we've seen recently. Yeah, I I agree completely. I remember when Brave came out and. Uh, the trailers have made it seem like a really like huge adventure. Uh, and then it all takes place like within like a couple of days all within like riding distance of the castle. And I was surprised by that. But looking back, I really appreciate these like low stakes movies where it's just like a family having some problem. There's always magic involved. And then you just get to really focus on the characters and the world, which was so beautiful, obviously. Yeah, the the part where the music that came into it was just really cool because through all of these uh, nerdy couch discussions, we've done a series of like every song that kind of goes into like the formulaic version of musicals of especially animated musicals. And it was just really interesting to see how they adapted it to this story where it wasn't like most of the songs were about the individuals and like explaining their own character Mm -hmm. arc versus you know moving a plot driven story around and it was it was cool to see how that goes because i mean as i thought about it i was like yeah that kind of i mean a lot of movies a lot of the songs do that in movies but i felt like this one did it way more than most yeah i felt that the structure of this was a little bit more like a traditional musical Mm -hmm. where we've become so accustomed to the the Disney animated musical and, and the ebbs and flows that that has. But I felt like just the different songs, like you had mentioned, like Luisa's song or Isabella's song, like they were, they, it just felt like I was just watching a musical and, and that character had, had a lot to say. And so they had to sing it, you know, where it wasn't necessarily songs only relating to Mirabelle and her arc. It was the whole family uh-huh. as a whole had, had a lot to say. So I thought that was, that was really cool. Yeah, so the the soundtrack came out a couple of days before the movie on November 19th. So obviously on November 18th at 9 p.m. Pacific, I was just refreshing Spotify, (laughs) waiting for it to drop. Uh, I must have been one of the first like 10 people to start listening to it because it was like 9-0-0-0-0. But so I started listening to it and I was walking my dog that night and I was just listening to like Luisa's song and Isabella's song. And I was like, I already know these characters so well. And like, I've seen them in the trailers and it's like the strong one and the beautiful one, but the song immediately made them uh, like, di- like it gave them three dimensions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was just so impressed that I was already like, okay, so Luisa is super strong, but she feels that she has to carry everything for the family. And uh, so it was a great way to introduce the characters because, you know, there's like 12 major characters or like at least 12 named oh, characters and yeah. um, the songs are such a big part of us being even to remember them like i've seen so many movies with huge cast where you're like the the strong one and i i haven't seen anyone refer to luisa as the strong one in conversation they always use everyone's names which is a huge accomplishment yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's true so that's one of the things that i noted as really one of the highlights of this film is that it does have a very large cast um, and they play pretty big roles 
it's not, you know, they're not just a whole bunch of, oh, this is our family, but majority of them are background characters, throwaway characters. They're, they're really important to this family dynamic as, as everyone in the family should be. Right. And I thought that they just did such a wonderful job of making everyone feel real and important and memorable. And I think the very first song, La Familia Madrigal is does a really, really great job of helping to present the stage. It's sort of like our bell moment, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but in introducing us to the family, but not only the family, we get a lot about Mirabelle and how, you know, she's really kind of trying to shrug this off. Like, no, it's fine. It's, it's fine. It's not a big deal. I'm, I don't, you know, she, she's not a hundred percent confident in who she is because she doesn't have the gift. Um, and, and I thought that was a wonderful opening number. To present that. And then on top of that, we get these other songs for some of the other family members, which was great. So let's talk about the characters since we're, we are discussing that right now. So first and foremost, I got the Art of Encanto book. So shout out to Chronicle Books for sending that over. And it just arrived yesterday. And so as I was preparing for this episode, I went through that and I absolutely loved this art book. So if you haven't, if you, you are an art book fan, I definitely recommend this one because this is one of the better examples of how to do an art book because mostly they spend a lot of time focusing on the characters and the evolution of the characters and how they got to the final design. Some art books, they, they, spe- they focus a lot on like, oh, well, this is what the character, we, the final design of the character. And then they really don't show you a lot of the pre-production and the changes. Um, and that's always disappointing to me because I really like to see like, okay, how did they change? You know, was, was she tall? Did she have long hair? Did she have this glasses, no glasses. And, um, because this is such a character filled and heavy movie, that's really all the book is. It's just all of the characters, the home, and then Columbia, um, as far as the setting, and then that's it. That's the book. And I thought they just did such a really, really great job. Um, so if you want to check it out, we'll have a link in the show notes. But it just helped me uh, appreciate all the work that went into creating this cast of characters even more. I'd like to give a shout out to Lorelei Bove for like how much she her influences came into this, because when I saw her name at the end, I was like, yes, this is exactly <laughs> Lorelei Bove. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm so excited to get that book. I haven't gotten it yet because I imagine that we're a month from Christmas. I imagine someone's going to get it for me. (laughs) Uh, I will, uh, to be honest, I'll probably get it more than one time because the most obvious gift to give me this year. But if anyone is listening, (laughs) please give it to me. I don't mind having three copies. I just need at least one. (laughs) You hear that, family? Do it. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Okay, so let's talk about Mirabelle. She's obviously our main character. She's the main focus. And so I, I just love the name Mirabelle because I had a, I have a friend from high school named Mirabelle and she kind of looks like this Mirabelle. And uh, so I just thought that was that was fun. You know, so anyone who, um, you know, it's, it's nice to see, you know, different characters and names and, and diversities represented in in different films. But what I loved about her is that she her design was just so great. Like she wasn't you know, the stick thing, perfect girl, which that's her sister. Um, oh, and she's just normal. Like that's all I can say about her. She's totally normal. She has this beautiful curly hair. I love the hand stitching on her blouse and her skirt. Oh, I love that. You can just tell that like, and, and it ha- includes um, each member of the family. Like family is so important to her. And so there's, there's a chameleon, which represents um, Antonio, not Antonio, um, the other cousin. Um, Amilo. You know, yes. And each, yeah, so it just shows like she loves her family and, and they're a part of her and it's a part of her clothing and her style. Um, and I got to say, love the pop of color on the glasses, the, the bright green. I thought that was very nice choice. But so what do you guys love about Mirabelle or don't love about Mirabelle? Um, I, first of all, she wears glasses. I, <laughs> we have never had a <laughs> Disney protagonist who wore glasses, I think, uh, or at least not a Disney heroine. Um, and I think what you said about her design, uh, I really love it. For the longest time, if you Googled Encanto concept art, as one does, obviously, <laughs> uh, the, the only drawing was of uh, Isabella. And I didn't know about anything about the movie back then. So I was like, oh, it's just a traditional, like, just the most beautiful person ever, like, really thin. Uh, and then when the trailer started coming out, I was like, oh, that was actually her sister. Like, the protagonist is just a normal person with 
amazing curly hair. Like the hair in this movie <laughs> is just the, the the progress that Disney has made with their animation. It's just in full display. Um, but yeah, I, I really love Mirabelle. Um, I love that she's obviously, she wants a, a, a gift so badly as we would all in her, as we all would be in her situation. Uh, but she's, she's not like just jealous about that. Uh, she also, she's excited for Antonio to get his. He, she walks with him uh, to the door. So I really like that, even though she obviously wants this so badly, uh, it doesn't really define her. Like, she still loves her family. She's not jealous of anyone except maybe Isabella because of, her, of the perfect life she thinks she has. Uh, but overall, I just really, really like her. And I really like that. Uh, even though she wants this, she doesn't let that get in the way of loving her family. Yeah. And there's a lot of, um, like I, like I mentioned, like all of my siblings, because I come from a big family and I have a lot of, like I said, I, I consider them very cool people. And I look at like all the things that they've done and be like it, their accomplishments also, I feel like help me and be like, yeah, I'm connected to them. Yeah. They're cool. So am I. Right. <laughs> and um, so I can see that part of her, but I can also com completely see the side where it's just like, um, why am I not like this? But at the same time, she has completely like the little kid at the beginning. If I were you, I would be really sad. <laughs> She's just like, um, I'm not. Thank you. Move on. Um, and like, I'm sure that, you know, in the story of this of this girl, she probably was very sad for a very long time, but then realized that it wasn't going to help her anyway. So might as well just be happy with where she's at or with who she is with. And, and I think that's its own thing. Like the fact that she was able to even, even in the moment where she says like, I just need a miracle. Um, even up until that moment, she has been so completely just, I am not going to you let this separate me from my family. My family is also me and they make me cool just by being here as well. So I really appreciated that about her. And I thought it was very um, admirable. Like it, it's a very admirable quality just to be able to like look at other people shine and be like, I, I am cool, you know, vicariously through you. Yeah. Like I could definitely, that's cool. I could definitely see like a lesser version of this movie being about like, she tries to touch Antonio's door before him to get a gift. And then that's what breaks the magic or something like that. And I'm really glad that that wasn't the case. She wasn't trying to get a, like, she obviously wanted a miracle. There's a whole song about it. Uh, but she was fine with just, okay, Antonio got his gift. That's amazing. Uh, and it's only when, when Abuela says a gift as special as you are that she, that obviously that stings because that's like oh, the authority <laughs> figure in your life being like, maybe you're not that special, which is not pleasant. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, let's talk about Abuela. <laughs> yeah, she's, you know, obviously our villain of the story, but she's the matriarch of the story. And I use villain in quotes because, you know, with families, you know, sometimes certain family members have expectations, um, which may or may not be warranted. In this case, you know, she had these weird expectations that everyone needed to, you know, have have this gift to help the family. And, you know, Mirabel didn't have one. And so she kind of whether she did it purposefully or not pushes her aside. Um, and, and, and it really, she does it in such a way that's so dismissive that it's just, it, it, it's hurtful to Mirabelle, um, which is sad because you can tell she does love this family, but how real was that when you saw the way that she was repeatedly putting Mirabelle down and, and how it made Mirabelle, Mirabelle feel, um, I, I totally could relate to that. I was like, oh, we've all been there. Maybe not, but you know, where you've had a family member who kind of acts that way and they don't necessarily know that what they're doing is not great. How I kind of see Abuela is like, she really just wants, like, if you look at, okay, she was afraid the moment that Mirabel didn't get a gift and so automatically thinks something's wrong with maybe with Mir Mirabel, like what is happening. And then, like Bruno has this vision and sees that Mirabelle is the you know one that could break or or make the family, and so she could just see like her grasp of like we have to 
keep things tight and like I have to solve this problem. And even if that means like if Mirabel does anything, she could break our, up our family. So Mirabel, just don't do anything. Just just stop doing stuff. And like it's just it is that in in itself that actually pushes uh, and brings up this like shadow of of, of Mirabel. Uh, her hurt feelings and then everyone you know feels that and then that shows the cracks like it's the obviously the the uh, vicious circle of trying to prevent the future ends up leading to the future um yeah so i've uh, i can on both sides i'm like abuela come on but at the same time you're like eh, i can kind of see where you, why you would be that way but yeah, come on. <laughs> yeah, and I think we we can all relate to uh, when we're so afraid of losing something that we like either hold on too tight and that ends up to, uh, to us losing that person or, or thing. Um, so I thought it was really interesting. And I love how she obviously cares so much about the family, but she, she like, it's a, it's a weird thing because when she's talking to Isabella about... Uh, her match with Mariano, for example. She's always like, oh, it's such a great match. It's such a great match for the family. And she never is like, hey, Isabella, do you like this guy? It's mm-hmm. always like, oh, right. it's, it's great for the family. <laughs> and it's like, you're putting the family above everything, but you're forgetting that the family's com- like, it's people. <laughs> uh, right. Which I think some of us uh, can do sometimes where we like, we're like, this is the most important thing. And it's like, oh, it's just people like, it's it it's individuals and I really care about them and the family madrigal is not like a weird thing that can be perfect. Uh, you got to care about the people that make the family. Yeah, there's a a point in time where after she see after Mirabel sees the cracks and then no um, abuela comes down and she's like nothing is wrong with la casa madrigal. <laughs> And I'm like, ah, oh, double entendres are great. Like, <laughs> because, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you could use the phrase La Casa Madrigal as the, the not just the house itself, but the household and the people within it and the family in um, as part of that household. Yep. And so it's like, there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with us, okay? <laughs> we are perfect, I tell you. <laughs> uh, she sure thinks that. <laughs> i mean it's interesting because they have this um the idea of our gifts are are given to us in order to serve the community and that is i mean that's definitely a um a feeling that you know with or without magic i believe that like my family kind of has that mentality of like how are you what are you doing to serve others and and so um i can see that as like a lot of times you know they the effect of putting others before yourself, but at the same time, it's like, well, you need to, you know, secure your own life mask before you can help others type thing. So it's that, ah, that balancing act. Yeah. And, and something that I really like is the way that the powers are shown. I really like when Disney movies like really explored the, the creativity of their world or the powers or anything. Like I love my favorite part about the toy story movies is just how much sense they make it's like of course if toys were alive like birthdays would be terrifying to them (laughs) like I had never thought about that but as soon as I saw it I was like yep that's exact that makes sense uh and seeing little details like like Luisa exercising with uh the house making the floor a a treadmill (laughs) like I just love those little details uh or like on the I've seen it three times now and on the third time I noticed that when during Antonio's celebration, the as soon as the fireworks go up, like Dolores covers her her ears because obviously, oh. like they must be so painful to them to her. Um, so it's just those little details that show that the people making the movie cared so much and thought about everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So who do you who do you want to talk about next? Should we talk about the the aunts and uncles and then go to the cousins, or should we talk about the sisters? I think we should talk about Bruno, even Bruno. though the song tells us not to. <laughs> Don't talk about No, no, no. <laughs> I I was really glad that, I mean, I saw it twice. So the, the second time, I didn't, there were a lot of things that I didn't notice the first time, but I did notice in the second one. Like, even in the very beginning opening song where they're in, introducing everyone, 
there's just like, and then there's Bruno. Oh, but we don't talk about Bruno. <laughs> it's like, even at the very beginning, they like put this in there. I was like, good job. Way to be that poor guy. Yes. <laughs> like he can't say anything. He can't make a comment on anything without people assuming that it's the future. You know, like the fact that like, oh, your fish looks sick. <laughs> you killed my fish. <laughs> and then like, I was just, I didn't try to ruin your, your day. I was just, you know, commenting that you look sad. <laughs> I was majorly impressed that he was able to basically live within the walls of the home for who knows how many years. Right. <laughs> but, and it was just so sad. He, you could tell he still wanted to be part of the family and he had that little place setting, you know, oh. right kind of oh, a direct extension of the table. I'm like, oh, how does it get this way? And that's what I love about this <laughs> film is because it's so real. I mean, there are rifts that happen in families and people don't want it to be that way, but it just is. It's, a lot of times we're just too prideful to talk about it. <laughs> and that really is right. what this movie is all about is you just got to talk about it as hard as it is. Yep. Uh, that little table is quietly one of the saddest things I've seen in a Disney movie. Uh, you could just, like, yeah. as soon as they showed it, as soon as they, we realized that he just looked at the dining table through that little crack, mm -hmm. and then he had his own little plate, like, you could hear the whole movie, like, the whole movie theater just, like, <laughs> just, like, such, yeah. a, such an emotional moment. I really like Bruno. I, I love when, when a character is talked about a lot before we meet them because it's like, oh, what is this Bruno? And we see, in We Don't Talk About Bruno, we see Camilo shapeshift into Bruno and he's like singing like a seven foot frame rats along his back. And you're like, this is terrifying. <laughs> uh, and then the first time we see the actual Bruno, it's also super scary because it's that really cool shot where the rat hands him a piece of the prophecy and there's like lightning and you just see a silhouette of a man and it's like oh this is super scary and then you meet him and he's just like the funniest like goofiest guy that mm -hmm. has obviously spent so many years by himself with his rat friends and uh it's just a really nice character one of my favorite quotes from bruno was when he's like oh we we could watch you know some entertainment you know and he grabs the rats and puts them on this little <laughs> stage thing and he's like oh and this one this one's great their love could never be and it, it wasn't until the second <laughs> the second time i saw it that i like actually heard what he said <laughs> and he's like this this telenovela that he just described is like their love could never be you know because she's his aunt and and she has amnesia so she can't remember that she's his aunt <laughs> i'm just like oh my gosh <laughs> that is so telenovela absolutely <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, another cool little detail that i noticed was that uh the first the first thing he offers is sports and the scene he shows uh is from a famous game between Colombia and Germany in the 1990 uh, Soccer World Cup. So just the attention oh, cool. to detail oh, wow. in this movie is incredible. Like the way the plates look, the food, like everything is just so accurate. And obviously, like with other movies set in, in different cultures, I had read so much about the work that Disney puts. But seeing the things that I'm super familiar with, like like in the dinner scene with Mariano, uh, the plates that they use for that particular dish, I was like, that's exactly what we would do. This is just incredible. It's so accurate. So I was just delighted with that. So you give the film your stamp of approval as far as authenticity and true to culture. Oh, absolutely. They did such, such a good job. Uh, I loved it. The the food looked amazing. Uh, there's a moment where Mirabel and Antonio are under the bed. And she points with her lips, which is something that we all do in Colombia for some reason. Uh, <laughs> the clothing is just perfect. The, the mix of English and Spanish uh, was really well done, I thought. Uh, and they got Carlos Vives to sing Colombia Me Encanto, who is like my favorite Colombian musician. So again, this movie is just tailor-made for me. <laughs> nice, nice. So let's talk about Isabella. Yes. The perfect one. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. <laughs> Why is it that all the pretty ones like seem to be are always seen as like evil? Like that's one of those those tropes that I, I thought whenever she came in. And yes, I get it. You know, the fact it's a the sibling rivalry and why she would definitely feel like Isabella was. But at the same time, like she really is just drawn that way. <laughs> Some of the hardest times I've laughed was were with Isabella, especially like 
during we we don't talk about Bruno when everyone's sharing like the terrible prophecies that he gave them <laughs> and she's like the life of my dream was promised and I'll get it and it just caught like you can see Mirabel in the background and her face is just incredible like I laughed so much at that <laughs> I thought she that had a good. really cool design she was you know, very aesthetically pleasing. You know, it made sense that the perfect sister has like the long, beautiful black hair. But I just, you know, going along with each of their gifts, she has this gifts of, of flowers and making everything beautiful. And her just her her dress was so beautiful with the flowers on it. And we haven't really talked about, you know, each one of their rooms yet. But, you know, she has this flower shop of a room. It's covered every inch um, with flowers, you know, looking at the art book, you know, they wanted to keep her very princessy. So they had the pastels initially to represent her. And then, you know, as she kind of came into her own, she had more colors and, you know, I, I loved that she was able to like succulents and cacti were, which are very sharp and prickly and typically wouldn't have been associated with her, but like, that was something that came out of her and it was cool. And it was just really, really cool and exciting. Um, I thought she was a good foil to Mirabelle. First off, hello, boyfriend. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. He was so funny. I really liked him. He just um, has so much and so much love to give. <laughs> there was a moment where I like, is he going to end up with Mirabelle? I don't think that would work out. <laughs> and then uh, goes up with the other cousin like, ah, yes, this this works out. I like that other cousin. What was her name? Um Dolores. Yes. Dolores. Yeah, I really liked her. She was cute. I really like there's a moment where where when Mirabel uh assembles the prophecy and then her dad walks in on him on her. Um and then she's like he's like we got to keep this secret no one can know and the door just opens a little bit and you can see the Dolores silhouette and everyone just like starts chuckling <laughs> before they come to her. I was like, "Yep, she heard everything." <laughs> Yeah, her power was really funny. It, each of the powers that the different family members had, some were kind of like really quirky and weird. And hers was one of that where it was just the ability to hear something miles and miles away, which that would be miserable, I must say. Oh, yeah. Yes. I, I do not desire that gift in the least, but it doesn't seem to bother her. Um, she must be really great at tuning things out, um, but then she can hone in when she needs to. But uh, of all the powers, nope, that is not one that I want. Yeah, agreed. Uh, we have Louisa, who is the you know the big tough sister, and I loved her design. I thought she was just so cool. And they you know in the art book they talked about how they designed her after like Olympic, uh, you know weightlifters, you know female weightlifters, um, you know and how and, and uh, shot putters and how their bodies are are structured. And it's just very like top heavy. She has this very thick neck, very strong. Um, but she's still feminine. She still had these just feminine qualities to her. Um, and I loved her song. It just felt very novel and fun. And it kind of reminded me that it was kind of done in the style of a friend like me from Aladdin. It was a little bit more abstract. Mm. I just thought it was unexpected um, <laughs> and watching it. Yeah. There's a moment in the song that made me laugh so hard when, uh, we see like a ship like the Titanic and it says Madrigal on the side and they're heading straight to an iceberg uh, and the donkeys are playing violins in the... In oh, the, yeah. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, the donkeys were cute. They're, they also kind of reminded me of um, Lost in the Woods from Frozen 2 where, where there's lots of yes. reindeer, you know, singing the background chorus. You know, the donkeys were her thing. I, I loved it. And she's, yeah. she's really the, fun. The, I, you know, there's something about Lin-Manuel Lin Morenda where he generally, like, if you've listened to any, uh, a lot of his stuff, like I have, um, he has a very stylistic way of doing his thing. And he generally writes in the same key that he himself would sing, but it's like a little too low for women. And that was the, my only nitpick about this whole thing is just like both, both Mirabel's and uh, Luisa's songs just seemed a little low for them. And like, I was just like, come on, just just put it up like one one key <laughs> higher or something. <laughs> it's like it sounded like uh, it would have been difficult for me to sing it. But it also sounded like they were stretching themselves um, to do it that way. And I was like, come on, Lynn. But it was I loved the intentionality of each song and how they all kind of like 
played into each other like that. So yeah, one one of the first reviews because as soon as the embargo was lifted, I was refreshing Twitter like a maniac to see uh, <laughs> what people were thinking. And one of the first reviews I saw was that the movie was great, but the songs were like superfluous. And I don't know what that critic saw because I think like each song was so well used and like there there's no filler songs there's nothing like each of them advanced the character so well so um yeah i i was really impressed and we need to talk about the visuals of the songs but before that are there any other characters that we want to talk about casita yes yes (laughs) (laughs) i mean let's talk about the casita in the room as the room how does Casita work? Like, there's still this whole thing that I just do not understand. I still don't understand where all the magic comes from. And also, why are they not considered gods in this community? <laughs> and also, like, why are they trying to convince another family to marry into them? Because, like, they're obviously the top, you know, top family of the of the community. Um, but also, Casita, it's like, is Casita the miracle for... Abuela, because Abuela doesn't really have any special gifts. She's just the leader and she just has the house. I I was just, this was something that confused me to no end. Yeah, it took me until my second viewing to be like, wait, does Abuela have a gift or is it, um, which also makes it interesting because uh, you know how when sometimes uh, when other people do something that annoys you, it's because it reminds you of yourself without you admitting it. So it's also like yeah. Mirabel being the first one without a gift sense. Abuela might, there might be a psychological link there. Um, oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I assume that Casita is her gift or or it's not really clear, but yeah. I love Casita so much and I love the sense of humor and the magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, just when Mirabel is like unloading that package and Casita's just taking things away in the background, like that kind of thing, I just love <laughs> Yeah, Casita was really fun. I figured that Casita was the gift given to her. She didn't have a gift in a way, but she needed a miracle in that moment of time. And Casita was, you know, the, the candle um, and outsprung Casita from there. But that's yeah. kind of how I how I saw it. Which um, honestly, if I had to choose, I would choose that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I loved how um, th- in one version, or I don't know, in didn't they say that the the house it evolves as as is needed right and so it started smaller and then grew and grew and grew um is that true or was that just in the art book that i saw that i think that's in the art book okay so in the art book it started as just like a a little a little shack and then you know as it then it grew like a, a tower and then a gazebo over here and it just kept growing over a period of time so yeah i think it said like in an older version of the script you know that's what happened it over the centuries that's kind of what had happened. Another thing with Casita, um, initially in the way that this film was going to be is, um, Mirabelle from the concept art that I saw, she had like pink hair and she seemed like a more modern person. Um, cause this was kind of sent in set in like early 1900 ish, yeah, um, which I liked. It kind of made it <clears throat> a little bit more timeless, but, um, in another version of the script, they had it where Mirabelle found like a magical doorknob she was able to put on a door and it transported her to this world. Um, obviously it's a totally different version of the film, but I liked ultimately where they came, where it was the house that was this living, breathing thing. And ultimately the house's powers is only as strong as the family's relationships with each other. So if the family is cracking and breaking, Casita's is cracking and breaking. And only when they're able to fix those bonds does Casita therefore, you know, do that. And, but at the same time, if Casita is breaking, um, so do the powers that the family members have. So it's even more important that you have to stay strong as a family because if you're not, not only is the house going to fail, but your powers are going to go away too. And we see that with, you know, Luisa's power. She's weak. She's not able to pick things up. And yeah. So Mirabel at the end, when she's given the magical doorknob and then she opens it, is that now does is now casita belong to her like does she, is she the donna she of the this entire house <laughs> like i'm kind of confused <laughs> um everybody else gets a room but oh she gets the whole house you know uh, that will be answered in the 2025 disney plus series about it <laughs> oh great awesome <laughs> um yeah because uh 
I I was super emotional, like from the moment when from like the Isabella song onward, I was just crying the whole time. Uh, and when the whole town shows up to like help them build their house back, I was just bawling. That got and, me too. Um, and then the doorknob, that's just also even more, uh, which apparently is a leftover from our previous script that they found a new way to use uh, and make me cry. So good job on them. On them. <laughs> um, and then I love that the, the new Casita's door is a mural of all of them instead of just one of them. It's all of them together, which I, which I really, really like. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, I like that the the house was able to have these doors that would form when they got their gift at the age of five and they each had their own special room that they could go into and it was uh, the rooms itself just defied expectations and you know was this old this world within a world um, and i thought it was really cool that the worlds were able to become what the person needed it to be and I also thought it was kind of hilarious that Mirabelle was still in the nursery. <laughs> it felt very much like Peter Pan. Oh. This is our last oh night in the nursery. <laughs> that hurt so much. Oh, it was sad. It's like yeah. it was so so sad that part where she was just like everybody else gets this whole world and she's st- stuck in this like nursery place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I the Antonio's room reveal was also incredible. Like oh, the yeah. little girl shouting, like it's bigger on the inside. But just then that whole sequence where like the animals are taking Antonio around, I was just like, my mouth was on the floor. <laughs> the, the movie's so beautiful, visually mm-hmm. speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the music, uh, this was also just great in that sequence. So I gave my little nitpick about the music, but I, I really do have to say that the music was so much fun. And so I have never met or seen or heard of Jermaine Franco, but I well I, I really enjoyed his score. Uh, it's actually a woman, so it's her score. Oh, <laughs> uh, her score, great. Yeah, yeah, I I I was. How do you say her her name? I have no idea. So Jermaine Franco okay. is what I'll go with. <laughs> I mean, you can understand why I I didn't know. Yeah, no, um, I I was actually really surprised because I was like, um, something I, I was googling everything about this movie and i was like oh jermaine franco what has he done and i googled uh this name and i was like oh it's a woman that's fantastic um awesome that's really cool i feel like you you, there's very few female composers yeah exactly like i i got it i got my spotify rap yesterday and all i listen to is movie scores um and so I and from time to time I'm like there has to be more female composers by now like come on uh, and I search for them and there's like a couple but uh, not a ton so I hope that um, that she gets a lot of work in the future because I really liked her score and that's not really usual for me with Disney movies I love their songs and I listen to them all the time but there's no like Disney movie score that I listen to consistently or as mm-hmm. much as like say Pixar like Michael Giacchino was my top artist of the year. Um, <laughs> and that's because of the Incredibles and Ratatouille and Inside Out and Up um, and Cars 2, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the first Disney score that I think I'll just have in my rotation, listening to it all the time. Obviously, I'm the least partial, impartial person in the world because this is just <laughs> the music of my country put in a, in a movie. Uh, but I thought she did a fantastic job. So how did you feel when, they, when the Spanish song came up? So I something that I forgot to say is that I I went to see it with my wife and three of my closest friends, uh, and I it it was like where's your wife from? Uh, she's Canadian. Um, okay. So uh, all my friends were Canadian, and I basically invited them to enjoy the show of me crying so so much. <laughs> uh, uh, and some of them had like other things, but they were like, no, I need to go to this screening particularly because it's the first time that Pablo will see this movie and it's going to be incredible to see him like cry so much. Uh, And I delivered. (laughs) And as soon as the song in Spanish started, (laughs) one of my friends just like looked over at me and I was just like, like heaving sobs because it was so exciting to see, like have a song fully in Spanish in a Disney movie. Um, You know, like Coco was amazing and it had, a lot of Spanish in the songs, uh, but this was just a song in Spanish mm-hmm. with no translation, really. Uh, and it's also such a beautiful song. Like, I really, really, really like the song. Um, without context, I when I was listening to the soundtrack before seeing the movie, 
uh, I had no idea where that was going to play over. I thought that maybe it would be like a metaphor and we'd see like a little animation of two caterpillars in case anyone doesn't know yet. Orugitas means little caterpillars. Um, so I had no idea how it was going to be used, but I cried my whole way through it. And I love that song so much. Uh, so I really, really, really liked it. I mean, I thought it was cool that that was the love song of the movie, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. Mm-hmm. And how they switched it, and in the end credits, they have the English translation of the song, which is normally not the way they do it, obviously. They tend to do the English one during the movie, and then the Spanish one maybe later. But the fact that they switched it that way, I was like, oh, that's really cool. Do you know if they did in the, when they have like the full Spanish version of the movie, do you know if they kept the English version as the credit song yeah i i asked my parents who saw the movie uh recently in colombia and yeah that's how it works so say essentially the music obviously every song is in spanish in the dub version and then in the credits colombia mean canto plays first and then two oruguitas which is the name of the song in english which i love uh that they don't change oruguitas it's just like uh-huh. It's two oruguitas now. <laughs> and even in this <laughs> song, it's like two mariposas and everything. Um, yeah. And then I was listening to the music in other languages just out of curiosity. And uh, from the track list, it's just, it seems to be that way. Where, like in Italian, for example, like in the movie, the song is in Spanish in every language, which I love. And then the credit uh-huh. version is translated to in oh, whatever cool. country they're in. Oh, interesting. That's awesome. Cool. I did. I do feel, though. So with Lin-Manuel Miranda, he definitely has a style. It's very distinct. Right. And I could feel that this was him. Like he has a certain way that he does his lyrics and like the timing and the cadence of it, you know. Yes. Um, and so as I was watching it, I don't know if that was necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. Ultimately, the music was great. But um, is it maybe a slight detractor where i'm like wow this just feels really like lynn what do you think there i did have a moment like that as well uh like i said i think I it's the like beginning some... song maybe because that was the first song uh-huh. yeah. yeah so they, yeah they released a clip from it um about a month ago and it was just like a 30 or 40 second clip uh and the first time i listened to it i was like oh this feels kind of weird it feels kind of off like this is like it doesn't really feel like Disney movie. And mm-hmm. I remember that in 2016, they did the same thing where they released like a 40 clip from You're Welcome. And the first time I listened to it, I was like, oh, I, I don't know if I love this. <laughs> and then uh, those 40 seconds just get stuck in my head. And I'm like, I guess I'll watch <laughs> it again. And then I'm like, oh, I actually really like this. And then I would just watch the clip over and over and over again. And the, the exact same happened. The exact same thing happened with both your welcome and La Familia, the family Madrigal or La Familia Madrigal, where like the first impression, I'm like, oh, this doesn't feel like Disney. And then I'm like, oh, but I actually really like it. Um, yeah, it's funny because now thinking back to your welcome, I'm like, well, you're welcome. It's it's a staple. It's a classic. Like it's a Disney <laughs> classic now. Um, so it's funny to think that at the time, you know, there was maybe thoughts of like, oh, this is kind of weird little different but yeah. sometimes it just takes a little bit to uh fully bring something into the fold which i'm sure these songs will forever be disney classics i sure hope so because i i really really love them um especially i love that they're stylized visually like i feel we hadn't we had gotten like some hints of that like your welcome has that fun animation in the background but no other mm-hmm. song in moana does um yeah and then um in Frozen 2, we get that fantastic ballad with the reindeer singing in the background, which was so funny. Uh, but here, every song had like some, except for the first one, had some sort of visual, like a whole visual sequence built around it that I really, really loved. Mm-hmm. The Isabella song, What Else Can I Do, uh, was absolutely beautiful. Uh, but I think Waiting on a Miracle is one of my favorite visual sequences that Disney has ever done. Uh, the way like everything slows down and she's like there are kids with like sparklers running around and there's just like that beautiful streak of of sparkling light that Mirabel walks around mm-hmm. and the fireworks and then there's like she she's like dancing around like uh, I don't even know how to describe it like a, a weird version of Abuela and there's lights all around 
and I've every time I've seen it three times and every time I've just like started crying just out of like the beautiful visuals on the screen it was really pretty this year we got in the heights which I had been waiting for for so long and yeah uh, I saw seven times in theaters so I really loved it oh wow nice um, then we also got Vivo which I wasn't that big of a fan of but like it was also like a Lin-Manuel project and then on the same day that the the soundtrack for Encanto was released uh his movie Tick Tick Boom it came out on Netflix so it's just like I feel 2016 was the first like linear where it was like Hamilton and in the high and, and Moana yeah and then this year we got four of his projects which are obviously what all were probably greenlit around this huge success mm -hmm. of, of Hamilton uh, but uh -huh. I'm a huge fan and his music just really works for me yeah no I really I'm really happy for him I really like seeing when people are able to just especially just like, really dig into their what they're really good at and especially him because he's so good at being different at what he does it's like his style he's so good at his style and he has honed it down to make it something that you everybody can appreciate in some way and i really love seeing that so i'm really happy for him and all of his success so i guess our next question is what's next for disney animation yeah i'm i'm curious about this because i feel there was a time where like we knew older movies like three years in advance oh yeah mm -hmm. uh so like uh -huh. I, I feel like especially i know pixar did it where i knew uh there was the there was an announcement that i didn't like at the time where it was like all sequels and coco and i knew that between mm -hmm. like 2016 <laughs> and 2020 there would be like one original disney uh, pixar movie uh and now like i guess we know what's coming out from pixar next year with turning red and light year but has there even been another Disney animated yeah, movie announced? I looked it up. And so they, they've announced the film. There is a film for 2022 and one for 2023. 2023 doesn't have a date. 2022, so one year from now, the 61st film is called Searcher Clade. It's a tentative title because they filed some trademarks for it. But it says, here's a little, um, based on uh, the casting call that they were looking for. It says, right. Ethan Clade is a biracial 14 year old the studio's looking for voiceover talent 18 or older to play the role um he sounds very much like a typical teenager playful quick-witted can also retreat um he's a wise a isn't particularly tough the actor voicing him should be funny likable and sounds like a 14 year old but you have to be 18 years old <laughs> anyways <laughs> that's just that's all we know um basically they're, if they're looking for this guy so it hasn't um, been formally announced. No, no. So is, which is crazy because I mean it's so a weird. year out, but we know, you yeah. know, if you've watched the the making of Frozen Two, uh, even just six <laughs> months before, they are like trying to. <laughs> oh, man, they are. They still don't know what's going on. <laughs> I, I still can't believe they released that documentary where we see that they just hadn't come up with a story it's for such Frozen a bad Two. Look. I was just like, this it is. is absolutely crazy. <laughs> I, you could look at it two ways. It's like, wow, look at, they were able to get it all together and look how amazing it was. Or it's like, right. You guys didn't know what you were doing at all. And you're proud of it. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's kind of like the sweat box where they were probably like, well, we already paid for this to be made. So we might as well release it, even though it may look, make us look bad. But at the same time, it's cool to see kind of how everything changed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, because... I, I will forever feel sorry for Sting. But at the same time, I'm like, <laughs> it worked out really well because, you know, Emperor's New Groove is one of my favorites. But how they just how it kind of like just threw stuff against the wall and like, you know, OK, let's see what sticks. Um, yeah, it was. For something like Frozen 2, it was like, uh, <laughs> I, I kind of wanted you to have more of an idea. Yeah, as far as this film goes, like even looking at the art book, like it didn't seem like there was really anything they were really stuck on. Um, I'm sure that's a sweeping generalization and there were lots of, you know, problems during production or, or characters they couldn't quite figure out. But um, in the end, it was an amazing film. So let's do our ratings. Pablo, would you like to go first? Yes. Um... Obviously, I'm Colombian. I know I love Disney. This is not partial. I recognize that the film has flaws, but 
just emotionally, I cannot give it less than five stars. It was just tailor-made for me. I loved it. I cried my way through. So five stars for me. Chelsea? I'm going to say four and a half stars for me. It was like, I did cry my, I cried both times actually. So the first time it was cathartic. The second time it was like, even though I knew everything that was happening, it still got me. And I was like, oh, this is so sweet. (laughs) So I feel like they did a really great, great job with everything. Um, I think five star for me to get up to a five star, I would need a little bit more time with it. But as of right now, it's four and a half star. So I'm going to give it four and a half stars. I think Encanto is delightfully charming. It's a fun animated musical. I love that it plays tribute to not just Latin culture, but Colombian culture. I love that it just, instead of being like a big conglomeration of a whole bunch of different countries, like they pick one and they really go all in on that. Um, It's also just pays homage to multi-generational families I loved just seeing the different family interactions and, you know, there's, there's in-laws and there's this and there's cousins and aunts and uncles. It was just really Especially fun. in the same home. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was just really fun to see. Um, I, I loved the magical realism of this and that it was a very simple film. They didn't go on a big grand adventure. Um, but really the, the way that you were able to solve the problems was with, within the family working together to do that. And so it was delightfully charming. Four and a half stars. All right, thanks for listening to this episode of the Animation Addicts Podcast. A huge thank you to Pablo for joining us on this episode. I feel like (laughs) our discussion is so so much more robust because of you. And I love that we not only did we get our favorite Colombian, but someone who is clearly an Encanto super fan. Yes, you know, just had so many great things that you could share and all the research that you had done about this film. So and I'm also very happy that it met your expectations and kind of even beyond like blew them out of the water. Because I know, um, you know, you could probably be very disappointed in a film like this, right, (laughs) If, if it didn't go the right way. I was so nervous the whole day leading up to it. I had already listened to the music and I loved it. And I had read most reviews and I knew I was going to. Like, don't I, let I, me down. I knew don't the movie was good, but I, I, like, I couldn't eat that day. I was so nervous. It was so funny. Um, also, a, <laughs> a fun fact that I uh, forgot to share before was that. Uh, so my sister lives in Italy. So she got Luca. Uh, and then we got Encanto and the next year we get Turning Red, which is set in Canada where I live. So mm-hmm. I just really appreciate that Jennifer Lee and Pete Doctor are just basing their movies on where me and my family live. Like, I really appreciate that. <laughs> True. They, are, they are cyber stalking now. Yep. <laughs> I am fine with that. <laughs> well, thank oh, you so amazing. much. It's always such a delight whenever you're on. I love your insights and you are welcome back anytime that you want to. All you have to do is ask. Great. So. Also, for anyone who is listening, if you want all the show notes for this episode, go to rotoscopers.com slash 231. You can also hit us up on Instagram. Let us know your thoughts about Encanto. Tag us in your stories, letting us know your thoughts, and we will repost them on our Instagram. But that is all that we have for today. Thank you again to Pablo. Until next time. We are the Rotoscopers. Hello, hello, hello. I am recording right now. We're live. Let the funny stuff commence. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, funny. Hey, Pablo. Why is this not working? Well, I'm excited. We got a lot of stuff on here. There's a lot to talk about. It's going to be great. I woke up this morning and I have like the, the very, very beginnings of a possible sore throat and i'm like no 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 no. Uh, you know what i mean it's like just that one little tinch mm -hmm, of something mm -hmm. back there i'm like oh no 
Okay, uh, my headphones are not working for some reason, so I need like two more minutes. I'm so sorry. No, 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 don't take your time. We're fine. This this is the way. This is the podcasting way. You can podcast a thousand (laughs) times and there's always, you know, something that's going to happen. So we're, we're cool. It probably is probably close to a thousand with how many times we've had to re-record stuff. Oh god, no <laughs> way! Come on, <laughs> I'm kidding. oh that that's just sad and pathetic. We only have like <laughs> what maybe two hundred thirty episodes, and that, that says on average we've had to record each episode four times. <laughs> please, maybe no. not each episode. Please, I've, no. I've definitely listened to them all on average oh, of four sure. times for sure. That's hilarious. <laughs> You've been listening to the Animation Addicts podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and be sure to leave us a five-star review. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to help spread the word, be sure to share the podcast with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag us at Rotoscopers on Instagram and use the hashtag Animation Addicts. For all the links and full show notes for this episode, go to rotoscopers.com slash podcast. Now, if you still can't get enough for your animation fix, be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube and visit rotoscopers.com for more animation news, reviews, and interviews. Thanks for listening.